Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. We are so delighted to have Leah Ballard in the studio with us today, talking to us about her journey from the EA position and beyond. Leah works for a firm for the last five plus years, which is a fintech company that provides honest and transparent financial products that empower people to make the purchases they want today and avoid a lot of the snafus and pitfalls of the more traditional credit card options. So when we wanted to do a show about journeys from the EA role and beyond, Leah was very obvious choice. Uh, starting her career, well, I mean, if you really want to talk about where you started your career, it was as a Disney character in Paris. That, that, that may or may not be true. <laughs> you were the envy of every young girl. <laughs> and from there and, and several roles beyond that, um, you know, became the executive assistant to a very um, acclaimed uh, serial entrepreneur, Max Levchin. And uh, has groomed herself from supporting him into a role where she now leads and um, manages the administrative and executive support function within a firm, as well as founding and heading up an organization called Black at a Firm, which we will learn more about from Leah shortly. So as we wanted to explore this, this idea of how one can transcend their EA career and, and possible opportunities and, and tangents that can you know, develop from that role, um, Leah immediately came to mind as a perfect person to have this dialogue with. So thank you, Leah, for being here and so excited to, uh, to connect. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk first about your EA career. Sure. What attracted you to the role and uh, initially? Because you have a, a bit of an unconventional background, if you will, in terms of um, landing there. So tell us about that. Exactly. So I have a arguably non-traditional background. I went to a small liberal arts college where I actually majored in Spanish language and uh, literary studies. Double minored in English and history. I went to law school for a year and then took a little bit of a detour to France. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Best place to right. get lost in. <laughs> As a Spanish major, let's go to France. So on the subject of non-traditional backgrounds, Leah, yours is about as interesting <laughs> and, and eclectic as you might uh, as they might come, having gone to you know top university, um, and then uh, having gone to uh, law school for a year, mm-hmm. and then you were a clerk, mm-hmm. a law clerk, as I understand it, and then kind of had like a moment, an epiphany, where you were said, you know, law's not for me, and um, as you said, as you as you shared with us, you know, you moved to France and took a role with Disney. So tell us about why Disney was the answer, perhaps, or the antidote to what you needed at the time, and then how you made the realization from from Disney to move back here and actually pursue something as an EA. Correct. I I went to law school for a year. It was fine. It's what it it spoke to my my brain and how it worked. But it really was not for me at the end of the day. I had this moment and 
uh, Disney had come out with this film called The Princess and the Frog, uh, where they had Mm -hmm. their first uh, black princess. And for me, I, on a whim, just thought, you know what? I could do that. (laughs) And I didn't really... Not really in my nature. I just really didn't think this one through. Were you like a super big Disney fan your whole life? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I remember I had the Ariel Little Mermaid bedspread. I watched all the videos on VHS. (laughs) That may be not. That may be a hint at how old I am for on VHS. Um, But yeah, so I on a whim decided to audition. I didn't really give too much thought the fact that I was auditioning for Disneyland Paris. Uh, And so I then realized I was looking around at the room at the end of the day that I was solo and I was like, oh, Wow. I I think I'm going to get this job. job. (laughs) (laughs) And a couple months later, I was on a plane to France where I was, quote unquote, friends with Princess Tiana. Uh, That is the Disney jargon that is asked to be used um, because there's only one Princess Tiana and that's how it goes. So I I was very close friends with Princess Tiana. I had a phenomenal time. It was a very much needed break. I was very much on the straight and narrow Uh in terms of, you know, you go to high school, you go immediately to college, you major in your degree, you go immediately into grad school. Yes. And, you know, then you're going to get your big job and, you know, make that six figure salary and go, 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 go. Yes. I finally just allowed myself to take a break. Yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah. Um, but it was so good for me to yeah. to go to a country where I didn't speak the language that I had never really spent any time in. Um, so I was able to pick up a new language, meet a lot of phenomenal people where I have an international network. Wow. And um, the first year was great. And so I got offered a re-up on my contract uh-huh. to come back. Uh-huh. And so I did. Wow. And then the second year, I did have this realization that – Going back to what was really that inner voice for me of, I want to do more. I want mm-hmm. to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to use my brain mm-hmm. instead of just smiling all day, mm-hmm. which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I actually thought about pursuing a management or career path internally at Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really did require a little bit more time. Um, than I was able to commit to at that moment okay. where I was in my life. And so I, after you know spending a couple of years in Neverland, yeah. decided it was time to go home and grow up. And so yeah. I came back to the Bay Area and really started to think about what could I do, what would really speak to me, and realized that you know maybe being an EA would be the best way to kind of get into business, yep. having had this non-traditional background. Sure. What a great story, because it's, it also just demonstrates that there's no formula for how we have to approach things, and Correct. that we as people, we are complicated, and we do have journeys, and we do have things that happen to us, or tangents that we go on, and it, it's all good. You know, it's, it's all part of the experience. It's part of what makes you well-rounded mm-hmm. and, and interesting and vibrant and um, complicated and <laughs> all of these wonderful things, right? Yeah. So it's like, I think sometimes two people feel like they have to apologize for things that have happened or decisions that they've made. Right. And, and it's like, no, you yeah. know, it, it make it part of the fabric of your story. Make it, it's, it's, it's part of your patchwork, yes. right? Um, in your case, 
<laughs> you were a princess. I was a princess. <laughs> and the funny thing is, you know, it, it, if you want to talk about transferable skills, yeah. some of these EAs are very forward facing and you have to turn that turn on, it on very quickly. You could be having Smile. the worst day and boom, you Absolutely. have to go turn that on. It's hot. <laughs> you're sweaty. You're in polyester. You've got a wig on. Like, <laughs> talk about plowing through. Anyway, that's great. What a great story. After coming back from that that stint, I really realized, though, that where my strengths lie is being incredibly process-driven, a little bit neurotic, um, meticulous, detail-oriented, and incredibly curious. Um, I'm, I'm a nerd at heart, and I understand the power in knowledge. And so for me, the EA role really stood out to me as an opportunity where I could get both a bird's eye view of an entire company and organization, as well as that fly on the wall knowledge as well, where you are literally a shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, you are you are seen, but you are not heard. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. That's actually really, a, that is a position of power where someone can really just learn so, so, so much. And so the rule really stood out to me. as like, this is a great way for me to get my feet wet, to learn business acumen, and then Mm -hmm. to be able to apply that later on once I felt I had that foundational knowledge that Mm -hmm. I didn't get earlier on in either my academic or early um, professional career. Well, and and depending upon who you're supporting, and and this is something that I've I've said numerous times, so uh, I feel a little bit like a broken record, but, you know, it, it truly is the best seat in the house. I agree. <laughs> you, you can't ask for 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 you know a, a better platform as far as exposure and learning and knowledge visibility mm-hmm. with people who ultimately have the power and discretion to elevate your career, right? right and and move you along that path. So I, I think it's an absolutely brilliant place. Whether you are using it as a launching pad for something else, mm-hmm. or whether it's you know it is your final stop, which is a completely Correct. valid thing as well. Yes. Like to be an EA for your career is a hundred percent valid. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really nice to hear that you recognize that opportunity and really used it to soak in as much knowledge and learning as you could. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so starting off as an EA, mm-hmm. um, tell us about how your career trajectory has evolved over the last five or so years that you've been within a firm. Sure. So I have had an amazing uh, career so far, uh, with in, just in terms of the exposure that I've had. So I started in one of those hybrid roles as an EA, PA, OM, those who aren't familiar with the jargon, executive assistant, personal assistant, office manager. So it was really wearing many hats, saying yes to everything, um, even the stuff you don't really know. You just kind of learn on the fly. Yep. So my first year was a lot of helping out a firm when they were in their infancy. So the company was about 25 people or no so way. when I first started. And I was actually working with um, the incubator that spawned a firm wow. um, called HVF Labs. Okay. And so that was an even smaller office with about 10-ish people. Um, And so that was everything from office managerial duties, setting up Ikea furniture, uh, you know, seat charts, organization, some of the HR stuff, onboarding, paperwork stuff there. Um, The PA work of making sure that my boss and his family is taken care of and that their lives can run efficiently and effectively so that he can be effective as a CEO. Mm-hmm. And then the EA work that was there in terms of, you know, greeting guests, managing the calendar, managing travel, um, just being that external facing portion of um, our CEO and partnering with uh, the chief of staff as well. Uh, in that time, 
one of the projects that I was actually working on was looking at how he allocated his time, how he used his time in the calendar. And we found that there was a fair amount more time spent at a firm than mm. on his other projects. Okay. And so that was really a catalyst for us to really look at, okay, like let's really make this a true pivot, both for him, yep. the chief of staff, and myself to say, we, we really need to focus our energies there. Right. So after about a year and a half, we all moved over full-time to a firm and really all just grew there. Went all in. All yeah. in there. So that's where I became full-time EA in that role. Uh, I was a solo EA for about two years um, in, the, in the company as it grew. In working with our chief of staff, I had opportunities where he was very open, which I really appreciated. Be like, Leah, what are things that you're interested in? Where are your strengths? So for me, um, my strengths lie in writing, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, talking with people, interfacing with them, putting those processes together. And so part of that ultimately morphed into crafting job descriptions Mm -hmm. for the EA role to conducting those interviews to really serving as the de facto hiring manager, Mm you know, in name, not necessarily in, in person or on paper. All that being said, there was enough that was kind of being put into place unofficially that kind of had me stepping into a managerial role where our chief of staff was just being stretched so thin yep. that something had to ultimately give. I was reporting into our chief of staff okay. and he was running all of the EA meetings and it, you know that that structure totally makes sense and yeah. it, it was great at the time. Um, as the company continued to grow, as the chief of staff really needed to focus his energies more so on uh, our CEO, the duties fell onto me yeah. and I was happy to take up that mantle. Yeah. I've had unofficial leadership roles in the past. Um, And so in doing that, after a while, about six months, a year of this de facto leader of the team, it really made sense between a conversation with the chief of staff, with other executives, with the EAs, to kind of explore what um, management would look like. Um, And so I actually took on a quote-unquote hybrid role of EA to the CEO as well as manager of the EA team. So I, on paper, became both the EA to the CEO and the manager of the team. So I did that for about a year and a half or so, which was great. Mm -hmm. Um, And then actually at that point, I was reporting into our COO, who is an amazing woman, um, no longer at a firm, but she was a phenomenal mentor at the time to help me kind of just groom that leadership quality and that managerial aspect because it's not a one size fits all. Right. It definitely you it is learned. It is a right. learned Absolutely. skill. Yeah. Um well and I think there's something just to, to pause for sure. a moment. I, mean, I think there's something very powerful about also recognizing the mentors in your life mm-hmm. and availing yourself of their knowledge and expertise, especially when you have someone who's willing to teach and coach. Yes. Um, I think every truly successful person has had people who've been pivotal and instrumental in their development. Mm-hmm. So seeking those out, that's lovely that you had that opportunity. So it sounds like it was sort of like this organic thing that happened, right? Mm-hmm. If firm was growing at this catalytic pace yes. and things were becoming super huge and there was a need for um, more capacity and, and, and more kind of leadership within the team. You know, I'm, I'm curious, like, if you have advice as well for people who maybe are at a similar stage where they've been through an, an early stage growth phase and they're kind of seeing that maybe some more structure is in order or they're seeing an opportunity mm-hmm. that they could maybe pivot toward. Um, 
in your case, it's it's lovely because it sounds like it was sort of a, a mutual, natural thing where it was like, Leah, help us out. You'd be amazing at this. If someone's trying to have that conversation proactively mm-hmm. and they're trying to go to their leadership or their executive and say, you know, I see an opportunity here sure. that I could really help with. Do you have any advice for how somebody might structure that conversation or initiate that conversation? If the individual is really looking to fulfill a need, like a business need, mm-hmm. great. I'm a nerd. Um, I am all about th- having the information to really support what I'm doing and to kind of to back myself up. Yep. So if you can tie something back to a business need, either be mm-hmm. it the core values or what is the you know one year, five year plan, great. People will love that you can tie that back. Hey, we yep. will save money if this happens or you know we will increase productivity by X mm-hmm. percent if this mm-hmm. happens. Just doing that something from that perspective. Yep. Another way that that conversation can be had is you know, just career growth. That can be several conversations in terms of does this person just want to try it and, you know, say like, hey, I, I have I'm, I'm excelling in my career right now where I am. I have the capacity to take on something else, maybe not even a full time. Let's give it a quarter. Let's give it six months just to try it out and see. And we can both reassess as it is. So it's maybe not a permanent mm-hmm. thing that allows, you know, mm-hmm. for both parties who are involved in that conversation to see whether or not that is fruitful, mm-hmm. um, which is actually what happened in my case. Nice. Um, just, you know, let's try it out. Everyone should be having career development conversations with their manager, their executive, somebody, uh, an advocate, a champion, just so there's someone who can go to bat for you at the end of the day. And that being said, if there's someone who knows that, hey, I want to be a career EA, mm-hmm. but I can up-level myself if I become a manager of EAs while I still am an EA because, you know, I have five years, 10 years experience and I can really groom this team and I can, the support that I'm providing to you, we know is great. Let's make sure that the other executives are also getting that level of support because I can teach them. Exactly. Let's create a standard for executive support across the entire organization. Exactly. Ultimately, there's more leverage in that than just a one-on-one, right? Um, so I think that's that's super actionable and really useful advice, I think, for people is to really assess, you know, what is the business need and how can their experience um, tie into that or address that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, typically when you're having these conversations, you're speaking to an executive. What yeah. is the language that executives <laughs> understand? They understand, you know, bottom line. They understand improvement. They understand budgetary things. Mm-hmm. They understand things like retention and risk management. Yes. And so you really do need to pivot the dialogue to, um, or frame the dialogue in a way that is, you know, going to have resonance for them. Correct. So I'm curious about how your experience and work as an EA directly informs how you conduct yourself in your current role as the manager and leader of the EA function. Sure. I truly believe that having an EA manager who has held the role of an EA is incredibly advantageous for the team. Uh, something that I've had conversations with other EAs, both within the company and beyond, is when people report to their executive or a chief of staff or someone in HR mm-hmm. or an office manager of sorts, mm-hmm. it's fine, mm-hmm. but it's harder for those people who have not been in the function to understand you know, what does success look like, yep. what does improvement look like? What does 
mm-hmm. career growth look like mm-hmm. uh, and having those conversations. And so sometimes, you know, if you report to an executive and this is not a ding at all, but they might be like, hey, you know, I get from point A to point B when I need to be and my calendar looks in order. I think you're doing great. Whereas someone who like myself who's been in this role, sure. I can say, great, you have the calendar and it works. However, have you thought about what this is, what the impact is? a week out, a month out, a quarter out, a year out. Like what is, what, let's really dig deep into it. Mm-hmm. Again, the nerdy stuff, <laughs> the nerdy things that make myself and other EAs yeah. really excited. Sometimes yeah. co- like color coding. Or color coding, yes. <laughs> going to conferences and you can talk to other folks about, you yeah. know, what's the difference between Outlook and Excel or Outlook and Google Calendar and right. the G Suite. And so sure. my background has given me a a unique situation where I can speak with the EA team and understand what's working, what's not working. They can come to me to talk about, you know, things they're working with the executive and the the projects that they're working on, as well as understanding what other things they can do, Mm -hmm. because I've done that. And Mm -hmm. so I I do encourage the team to say, hey, what is a side project that you want to work on? And that's actually a measurement of success for me when I look at um, our feedback and development conversations and the team has, for better or for worse, because we have so much on our plate already, have Mm -hmm. actually helped start several of our company's employee resource groups Mm -hmm. because it was something that I suggested. Like, hey, take something on. It's it's a side project. It doesn't have to be you, but this is a project I think you can do. And so we actually had three or four of our EAs actually start different employee resource groups at the company. So did you have any nerves at all about the transition that you were making um, into this leadership role. And I guess to the extent that you did, how did you plow through those and seek out, you know, the the knowledge or the information that you needed to feel confident in, in your new position? Sure. So it was a gradual transition, which I appreciated. I think everyone is going to have some version of trepidation, Mm -hmm. nervousness about change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if you do feel that you've done everything you possibly could and you, you know, crossed your T's and dyed your I's and everything's great, but then it's, it's new, it's different. Um, And I would say, especially with my role, it was a hundred percent new. This job was created for me and I am Mm -hmm. so thankful for that Mm -hmm. opportunity. That being said, you know, we did a, a gradual transition where for three months it was, an overlay between myself and the new woman who is supporting our CEO Mm -hmm. just to make sure that she had the information that she needed to be successful. Our CEO was able to kind of see what was going on. And I could also make sure that it it was there because if I'm there as a resource, why not? But at the same time is really kind of pivoting into laying the groundwork for myself to be successful. What does my 30, 60, 90 look like Mm -hmm. in this new role? Mm -hmm. Who are my allies? Who are my champions? Uh, and so that was for me talking with our HR business partners, speaking with our CEO, and I actually ended up getting a coach to help me just Excellent. really understand what does leadership look like? What does success look like? Um, our CEO also recommended that I read Radical Candor, which nice. I did. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know it's not for everyone and uh-huh. it's it's one of those things like great in theory, but than the execution on it as well, too. But yeah, you know, the nerves are natural in any career movement, even if it's a movement from I'm an EA supporting a VP to I'm an EA supporting a C-suite. Yep. Uh, I'm an EA supporting 
three, four people. Now I'm supporting one. Yep. And what, how does that change? Yep. And I think having honest conversations both with yourself mm-hmm. and with your exec and your allies is crucial to mm-hmm. success and calming those nerves. Mm-hmm. You had an idea to start and lead an internal organization called Black at a Firm. Mm-hmm. Would love for you to explain to us um, what the charter is of this organization. So Black at a Firm is an employee resource group or ERG that is a term that's being used. Uh, and Black at a Firm actually stands for the Black Leaders of the Affirm Community Kinesphere. So it's an acronym. And it's it was really created as a space for black and brown individuals of the American African diaspora to come together and have a sense of collective belonging. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the company has grown, you know, it wasn't until we were about maybe 150, maybe 200 people that there were finally 10 people of color mm. in our mm-hmm. company. That is not at all. And that's in San Francisco. Exactly. I was like, this is not at all a ding <laughs> on my company. This is just sure. tech. This is yeah. kind of how the numbers yeah. are in tech. Yeah. And so it was really one of those things where we were kind of navigating around each other, but not coming together as allies in a collective space where we could share experience and say, hey, you know, is this normal? What's going on? A lot of this is really comes down to, though, creating a space where people can feel like they have a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and they want to come into work every Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. So that's really where the inspiration came from is like, how how do we retain, um, you know, black and brown employees Mm -hmm. so that you know, the numbers aren't so small mm-hmm. uh, so that people, when we when we hire folks, they can say, oh, look, there's more people who look like me mm-hmm. or people who look like my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have that group. And so for us, part of our mission is to inspire, engage, recruit and connect. Uh, and so we have everything from very casual monthly meetings where we can talk about anything and everything. Sometimes it's about more hot button issues of, hey, you know, our survey numbers came out and it looks like we need to do a better job of recruiting, you know, people mm. of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had a month long of programming during Black History Month mm-hmm. where it was really just educational for the company in mm-hmm. terms of, hey, like, let's just talk about mm-hmm. this. Let's talk about mm-hmm. tech. Let's talk about numbers. Let's talk about diversity. Mm-hmm. And it's really growing, um, especially in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And I really I saw an opportunity and I really wanted to see what it could look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did you go about um, navigating that conversation internally? Like, because I'm assuming you know you had to get mm-hmm. some level of you know executive buy-in and and sponsorship, possibly maybe even budget budgetary um, sponsorship. I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. But how did you go about? Um, getting people on board with your vision. Sure. So one of the first employee resource groups that was created at a firm is Women at a Firm, which was really just for women. One of our uh, talent leads, I believe, is our, our VP of talent because she was the de facto leader of the employee resource groups. Uh, we had a forum. You know, you have to have X number of people to buy in. What is your charter? What is your mission? What are your plans for growth and development? Yep. So it was really just submitting that okay. and getting the buy-in. Okay. Um, but once we were there, it's re- there, there was a lot more once it was, okay, great, we've got it. Now yep. what? And yep. that's actually where budget came in and making okay. that budgetary request uh-huh. um, to basically say, like, here's what we project that we could do 
what numbers can you give us? Um, we do have an executive sponsor. It does happen to be our CEO, which mm-hmm. is great mm-hmm. um, to kind of have the top ally sure. at the company um, who can help advocate and support us. It's not easy. You know, we, we have our day jobs. And mm-hmm. so this is this mm-hmm. is really just like a side passion project for mm-hmm. myself and other leaders. Mm-hmm. And just trying to find that value add, though, to the company mm-hmm. of, you know, we want to be able to have folks funneled to us, be it at uh, recruiting fairs, diversity fairs, other companies where we can network and say, like, hey, like, this is a great place to work. Absolutely. Where do you see yourself continuing to evolve and, and grow? To be completely honest, if I could get paid to learn, I would love to do that. Yeah. So I actually just took a class at UC Berkeley Extension uh, for an introduction to project management. Okay. And it was four Saturdays uh, over July, August. So I was basically working six days a week and then coming home and studying at night. Uh, but I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting. I think EAs and project management go hand in hand. Absolutely. De facto project managers, really. Yep. Do they need to get their PMP certification? Maybe, maybe not. But for me, it's something that I, I am interested in doing and pursuing. So mm-hmm. I've taken the one class. Mm-hmm. I would like to take more classes. Um, I've also spoken with um, my executive my- my former executive CEO, yeah. that uh, chief of staff is actually something that's very interesting to me. Yep. It does go back to those EA roots in terms of kind of being that business add, that value add yep. right hand to yep. the CEO, but in a very different way. This mm-hmm. is getting out of, for me, it gets out of the calendar travel. It manifests in very different ways. I know that chief of staff is thrown around a lot, yep. but it really depends on the executive. So for me, it would really... It would depend on what the, the need is, either at yeah. our company or someplace else. Yeah. But so the two things that I'm yeah. interested in pursuing are project management yeah. and a chief of staff yeah. role. But what's so interesting about those three different trajectories that you've just posited for, for all of us is that they're all directly informed and directly you know, outcrops of the EA role. Correct. And so there's the one that you're in right now, which is, you know, management of an EA team, an executive support manager, which clearly is directly linked to the work that you did as an EA. Mm -hmm. There's the project management trajectory. And there's this potential chief of staff. So, I mean, that's just three potential tangents that you can take your career. Um, I think that's super inspiring for people to know that there's different avenues available and different ways of flexing um, that skill set and, and really like cultivating it, cultivating your EA skill set in such a way that you have those opportunities to transition if you want to. Correct. What advice would you have for an EA who maybe is feeling a little bit restless or feeling like um, they'd like to take on more, whether it's a new position or whether it's just new functions within their existing seat? Mm-hmm. But what and I'm sure that you manage this too with with your own internal staff. But what advice would you have for them about how they might approach that kind of um, itch? Sure. So I would say to take a look at what you are doing in your day to day, and are they essential functions? What is what is actually needing to be done, and what's stuff that maybe isn't part of your job function title, et cetera, and can be backburnered or automated and pushed out Um, because that frees up space and time. And then you can look and see, okay, now that I have X percentage left, 25%, you know, freed up. What else can I do? 50% freed up. Okay, let's talk about that. 
And that's where conversations though come in, be it with your manager, your executive, to have those career conversations like, hey, I am truly passionate, live, breathe, die for being an EA. I am a career EA. This is what I want to do. Yep. However, I do believe that I can grow in my role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, let's get let's get deeper on this. Mm-hmm. And so that conversation is just is telling them, like, you want to do more and like say, hey, give me more to do. Sometimes, though, I will caution to not come with an open ended. You tell me what you want. Absolutely. Because sometimes people will throw things at you that is that doesn't speak to you at all. No, and all of a sudden you you're want, looking it's at like clutter. Totally. And it's like, oh, this I is mean, not exciting for exactly. me. Exactly. Exactly. So come with, let's say, three things in mind that are either at least have one that's relevant to your function, maybe right. one that's a little bit outside sure. of the box, and maybe right. just another thing. That that way, you your your manager, your executive can say, okay, I don't like those two, but I like this yes. one, and you can you have that buy in there. There's Absolutely. that support of like, oh, I came with that idea. You know? Well, and make it easy for them to say yes, mm-hmm. right? So when you when you put the the burden on someone else to come up with what your job and new direction is supposed to be, that's a, that's that's an imposition. Right. But if you're coming to them with solutions and saying, which of these three things right. do you think you can green light? So one thing we like to ask our guests as we wrap up our, our conversation here is um, if you could support anyone in the entire world, in the history of the world, woo, it's a big one, who would it be? And why? And this is not a qualifying question for college (laughs) because you've already graduated. Thank goodness. (laughs) That is a great question. I I would truly love to have the opportunity to support our former president, Barack Obama. There is nothing cop out about that. I think he is a phenomenal leader and so smart. And I will say he also went to my alma mater, Occidental College, for two years. So so. so in other words, you have an in. (laughs) Barry, if you're listening, I'm saying hi. Um, But I think he's just so incredibly thoughtful and diligent and passionate. And there's so many check boxes Mm -hmm. that speak to me and just that opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. from that individual. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be something that you'd have to come in so incredibly humble and just be ready to, to take it on, take it an hour at a time, a minute at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think he would just be a phenomenal person just to even spend, you know, just a day. Like, can I support mm-hmm. you for a day? Mm-hmm. Um, I love what he's doing with his foundation. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the presidential family seems to be very cool. But I think for me, it's just someone who's incredibly inspiring. He's done so much. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't mind supporting him as a early candidate, you know, young, Uh young Barry. Uh I wouldn't mind supporting him as the president. I wouldn't mind supporting him now as he's running his foundation and basically setting, you know, the stage for the future. I mean, basically, we'll take Barry however we can get him. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. Yeah, that's great. Leah, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I think a a huge part um, of this conversation and a, a very inspiring story for people to um, take away and hopefully give them kind of some some guidance or some encouragement as they're thinking about their own trajectories. So thank you for sharing your insight and your knowledge and your wisdom. No worries. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. 
Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. You can learn more about Maven at www.mavenrec.com. Thank you.